0: Let the celebration begin. Come to Cabela's 4th of July sale and gear up for Independence Day. Get 50% off Cabela's American Flag Chairs 2-pack and 50% off a caravan 10-foot by 10-foot shelter. Plus, get 40% off an Abu Garcia Cardinal Sapphire Spinning Combo and 10% off all in-stock canoes and kayaks. Don't miss Cabela's 4th of July sale in-store and online at cabelas.com.
2: Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel we're your host. So happy to have you with us for this special NBA draft review edition of the Real Jam Radio podcast. My guest is Sam Vecini of CBS Sports. I really wanted to have him on and super happy that he was able to take the time. We recorded this at 1 a.m. Pacific time after the draft, after we we each finished our other obligations. Sam is a great talker on this and, and many other topics, but he knows the draft super well. So it's great to have him on. Conversation runs about an hour 20, you know, we go through a lot of different things with the draft, and since this is coming out so quickly, it is not edited in the way Real Jam Radio usually is, and it also does not have timestamps, because that is not physically possible since the podcast is going out at about 2.45 a.m. the night after the draft. So, hope you really enjoyed it, it was a great conversation to me, and he knows the European guys in particular really, really well, so there were a lot of them where I was asking him because it's the guys that I didn't know. As well, so I hope you enjoy that too. So, as I said, about an hour twenty. I hope you enjoy it. Well, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Danny. It's uh, it's late on Thursday night, or yeah, Thursday night. That's right. The draft is on Thursday, uh, and going into Friday morning. And I don't know that I will sleep for a little while still. So I figured, what the heck, come on and enjoy your company. Uh, you know, for the umpteenth time that we've done a podcast together.
2: Yeah. So. I think the place to to start with this and it's fun to to talk with you because you're so much more of a draft guy than I am is who you think the biggest winners are of Thursday's draft.
1: Sure. So that's a really, really interesting question for a wide variety of reasons, because how do you define winner? Uh, Do you define it as the team that gets the best player, the team that gets the best player based on what they had? So like, Assets that you have to use picks versus, uh, you know, how you get these picks and what players you take. So I would look at two teams. I would look at three teams. I would look at, you know, I, I love what Philadelphia and Los Angeles uh, Lakers did tonight. Uh, Philadelphia goes out, gets Ben Simmons, and then uh, drafts Timothy Luau. And Furcon Quarkmaz, both of whom I like. I like Luawu quite a bit more than Quorkmaz. Uh Korkmaz is just so far away from being an NBA player at this stage that I wonder if he gets here. Uh Luawu though should be able to uh impact an NBA game. I don't want to say soon. I don't want to say he's gonna be like you know an impact player next year. But his athleticism, his motor, his defense, uh, those are all translatable skills relatively quickly. Uh, And if the shot comes along and if he can continue to add to his ball handling game, that would be really nice. Uh, In in terms of – do you want to ask me something about Philly first?
2: Well, so, yeah, Philly is is one of my big winners as well. And part of what I really like about it is that I can see – all of these players to different capacities because, of course, they were drafted in different places of the draft, being a part of a successful team. And Philly is not going to get there right away. It's going to take some time. But Ben Simmons can be somebody who can be, at at the bare minimum, he can be an offensive force, maybe not the primary ball handler, but an offensive force. His defense is terrifying to a degree, but that's okay.
1: It, it's terrifying because of effort and because he was at LSU you can at least see a circumstance where his defense kind of gets together though you know right, what i mean he's
2: not a bad athlete like it, it's, right. it's un, he's not one of those players who is let's say structurally unfit to be a defender it's just that he hasn't cared and right. not caring is matters because Effort is a big part of defense, but it is also a part that can change. I mean, that's something as somebody who covers the Warriors, I've seen that with a lot of different Warriors guys. I mean, Draymond always cared, but a lot of the other guys have m- been motivated more by what has transpired.
1: And then, no, I think I think Maurice Spates is a good example of that. Like Maurice isn't a great defender now, but like the difference between what he was doing back in his old days and what he does for the Warriors now is night and day.
2: Yeah, exactly. He's he's a very good example. I think Livingston's gotten meaningfully better as well. Yeah, and. So you have that Walu is a guy who I I got more into because of Derek Bodner, because Derek Bodner really liked him and so I started watching more and he's not gonna be the fix all cure all of anything, but I think he can be a nice rotation player and I what I like about him also is that I feel like there's more to his game than just three and D. And I I think he can handle the ball a little bit and I think yeah. I think I, I think he has he has a good head for the game, and so that allows him to be a little bit of a different guy in that mold. And I Well, think-
1: yeah, what, what I call Luawu is I call him 3 and D without the 3 right now because he's not a good shooter. Like, yeah. uh, he, he, uh, he shot like 36% from three this year and he is really improving in that capacity, but he's not there yet, man. Like, he's an inconsistent shooter in game. One of the reasons I think he solidified himself in the first round was that he, uh, he had a terrific workout shooting basketball a couple weeks ago in front of a ton of NBA scouts, uh, with his, with his agency in New York, uh, Misko Reznatavich is, is a very well-known agent, repre- represents a ton of European prospects. Uh, Luau shot the ball really well at that workout by all, by all accounts. I was not there. But uh, had he not shot the ball well there, I think he would have fallen to the second round.
2: Yep, that's entirely possible. And and also, do you think uh, my, my read on him at this point is that he'll probably defend mostly threes and twos at the next level?
1: Uh, I don't think he can defend threes right now. He's really skinny. He is really like, skinny, but
2: he has the length too.
1: Yeah, he's six foot seven and six eleven wingspan. Like he can do it eventually. I hope, but he needs his body to fill out.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I like him though because it's funny how actually two three defensive versatility is something that's fallen a little bit by the wayside just because there are more three four guys and two one guys yeah. and. I love a, a good 2-3 defender. I don't think he's ever going to be, from what I've seen right now, he's ever going to be elite, like I don't think he's going to be there, but he can be good enough to mm-hmm. cause problems, and I like him as a, you know, at minimum I think in a couple of years if he can be a rotation guy, and they took him, you know, took him outside of the lottery, took him at 24, that's totally fine. And Korkmaz, I I agree with you from what I've seen, it does seem like he's a little ways away, but... If he can become a 15-minute-a-game guy at the minimum, you know, like four years from now, sure. I'm good with that.
1: Sure. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> no, enough. I mean, he's, he's a really good shooter. Uh, there's no doubt about that. He has pretty good basketball IQ. It's just – and he is a really bouncy athlete, but he's not like a super quick, twitchy athlete either. Uh, he's not like a laterally quick guy necessarily, and I do wonder if his – You know, I'm sure that if you're a draft Nick and, like, a draft nerd, like many of us are, I think that you've probably seen videos of him throwing down some pretty cool dunks. But those dunks, I don't know that they necessarily show his in-game athleticism.
2: Yeah, and that's an important distinction to make because teams do sometimes like guys do have that kind of a limitation and actually while I don't think his weakness is athleticism for me Brandon Ingram I don't see enough of his athleticism on the defensive end personally
1: no I agree with you uh Ingram is a guy that we'll get into right now actually we'll transition to the Lakers uh Ingram is a guy that I uh don't actually think is all that athletic explosiveness wise um I, I don't I don't know why people kind of equate that to him. I think it's kind of a thing where his length really kind of masks it in terms of uh, how high his arms are going above the rim, but you look at the way he finished the rim this season, it really wasn't all that great. You looked at the way that he, you know, like you said, doesn't really use, uh, athleticism all that well on the defensive end. I think there are some worries there. It wouldn't really surprise me all that much. If he ended up not being the second best player in this draft, like everyone's kind of assuming, but, uh, You know, the the package of skills with Ingram is so great for the modern NBA. Uh, That length does really help on defense. The mobility, even if it's not necessarily explosive mobility and agility, it is mobility to switch on to a wide variety of players defensively. Uh, That's going to be incredibly valuable. His his ability to space the floor is incredibly valuable. Takes advantage of switches really well offensively. And I think in Luke Walton's offensive system, if he's going to steal a lot of concepts from Golden State, state, like I imagine he's going to do, uh, that's going to be something that's really essential to his uh, to his success at the next level.
2: Yeah, Ingram is, is a guy that I struggle with a little bit because I think that his best role is as a complementary player on a really good team. And that isn't a bad thing because those players are really important, but... It is hard, even if he is – and I still think he's probably the second best player on paper in this class to kind of to, – to accept that in the sense of, you know, you're the Lakers. But actually, there is a sure. piece of good fortune in that for the Lakers because they are a team that can actually get players on top of him. You know, like there's – if he was in a smaller market, like let's say – I don't even know exactly the right team, but if, if someone else – maybe like Phoenix. If Phoenix had gotten the second pick – I think that might be a little bit more of a problem just because he would have to be probably their second or third best player, realistically, if they were going to do anything. But he could be the fourth best starter on a very good Lakers team in a couple of years.
1: Yeah, that's entirely possible. When DeMarcus Cousins ends up getting sick of what's going on in Sacramento, uh, th- that wouldn't be a surprise by any means. And I'm kind of joking about that. but Or Russ. Uh, Russ is the guy. Uh, uh, not, I feel
2: like it's going to be him, personally.
1: Uh, you think it's going to be Russ that goes to the Lakers? I do.
2: It is not based on any intel. I have no intel, but I just—it's ha- my instinct—is that a guy who grew up in L.A. was a was a lower kind of a lower-rated prospect, and I, I'm sure that there's a part of him that would always want to play there. But there's also a possibility the Clippers will be open for him. But I think I think it'll be the Lakers.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that that's an, an entirely uh, justifiable position and a pretty pretty uh, possible one as well. And
2: Ingram would be awesome with him too. I mean, just because he could yeah. space the floor, he could run some really fun pick and rolls. And, and Ingram, he is a guy who, depending on how they've kind of work the rest of their team defensively, who I don't love him as like a, a primary defender, but you talked about him being in a switch-heavy system. So maybe his role, like I focused on him being more of a four than a three eventually, but maybe mm-hmm. he's just a forward. Maybe you want to play yeah. him with, an, like, so an example would be.
1: Play him with, like, a Jay Crowder. That's
2: exactly the guy I was going to say. So you, yeah. you play him with Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder guards the better guy. Like, I, I, was, I was somebody who was pushing for a, a conceptually Danilo Gallinari going to the Raptors with almost exactly the same logic. So Damari Carroll guards the better guy. Danilo Gallinari guards the worst guy. It's kind of that same logic with him, and he's not going to play center, and so they still have that need, but that was always going to be there because there just weren't centers at the top part of this draft.
1: Yeah, for sure, and, you know, it's interesting that you note centers uh, in the top part of this draft because I think the Lakers got a massive steal at center, and Ivica Zubac, the seven foot one kid from Croatia, who uh, kind of moved around a lot this season. He ended up, he was starting uh, uh, the, the, the Croatian teams, uh, I think, you know, I freaking forget them right now just because my brain is fried. But, you know, he moved around twice in uh, the Adriatic League before getting to uh, two Megalex, the massive team that Timotei Luau plays for, uh, Rade Zagarat, who we'll talk about soon, and, uh, and uh, you know, Ogden Ar- and Yara Maz. There are quite a few prospects on uh, Lex that are quite interesting. And when Zubats got there, he was, you know, productive just about immediately. He's averaging something like 11 points, six rebounds a game. He is really, really smart, uh, really good player. There are a little bit of questions I think what ended up making him fall to the second round is that I'm not sure any team has his full medicals. Um, or at least like medicals they feel confident in. Uh, I don't know that for a fact necessarily, but that was definitely a, a concern I kind of gathered around the league by talking to people. And didn't you um, want
2: to come over right away? Because I'm sure I know well, some he is, teams are. He's reluctant. coming over
1: right away. Uh, Jonathan Gavoni of Draft Express uh, tweeted that he's planning to come over right away. Um, that's interesting to me. He is a. Uh, he's a player that. I kind of always expected to stay overseas, even though uh, he did say in an interview with, I want to say maybe Sportondo, that he would like to come over, but that was when he was kind of moving around everywhere and it feel, felt like he was just looking for a home. Once he got to Megalex, I kind of thought that he would be okay, but uh, it does look like he's going to come over. And I think that we can talk about this uh, whenever we talk about what will undoubtedly be a long discussion about the Boston Celtics, about how I think what happened with a lot of these reaches and a lot of these kits falling is that uh, a good amount of these teams just didn't have cap space and, Or didn't have, uh, didn't have roster space and decided that they wanted to stash players. But the problem was that many of the Europeans didn't want to be stashed. Uh, so what do you do in this circumstance? It kind of leads to a few reaches that I don't think that teams necessarily wanted to make at the time. Um, whether or not uh whether or not zubots was coming over or not I, I do think that a combination of that and the injury questions forced him to fall but he was the number 15 player on my board this kid is 7 foot 1 wow, with that's long right. arms yeah he's 7 foot 1 long arms uh really can defend the rim i think he's a terrific rebounder has great touch around the rim uh is really from what i've been told uh coordinated around the basket even if he's not necessarily a guy that's capable of stepping out and you know guarding on the perimeter right now with his coordination and fluidity so uh, he's kind of a true post in an era where that seems to be going away but he seems like he could be a very very good true post uh and i do think that there are different ways to skin the cat which makes you think that he can figure it out in some capacity
2: yeah, I'm intrigued by him because people. There are some people who I respect who really like him, and so when there's somebody who I don't know particularly well, that's something that I I, I definitely look at. And the Lakers certainly will have minutes because they have basically no centers on their roster, and he's not going to get. I'm sure he's not going to get paid a whole heck of a lot. So. You can do that, and I assume that they'll probably give him three years or less, which means that he'll be a restricted free agent whenever he whenever he finishes his contract. So they'll have more team control. I doubt they. I, I don't think they'd give him four, which would be it'd be really surprising to me.
1: I mean, any second round pick, I think, is you know hoping to get a four year contract, but uh, it's very rare uh, for that to happen. Um, yeah, I, I just can't see it honestly, especially this year where. The Lakers, theoretically, unless they think they're getting Kevin Durant or something, uh, which, you know, they're a little bit delusional. They might think that. Um, unless they think they're getting Kevin Durant or something, they can, you know, realistically give him like $2 million a year and just say, come on over. Yeah, you know what I mean? They want like, to,
2: yeah. The, the money—they have so much available there, especially actually, if Jordan Clarkson does what everybody expects and signs an Arenas-style contract, which I can, ex- which I've explained numerous times and don't need to right now. Yeah, but. That, that If they do something like that, then they'll actually have a little bit more flexibility, and so you can do that and come to come to some sort of thing. like Maybe you pay him a little bit more per year so that you can make it only three instead of four so that he doesn't become an unrestricted free agent.
1: Yeah, no, that's kind of the structure I would expect with him. Uh, it could even be like maybe two or something. Maybe you give him like three years or three million a year over two years. or And then you'd you know. be
2: arenas limited like Jordan Clarkson is now, which would be very interesting.
1: Right, and I think that that's what the Lakers would want with him. Because uh, if he breaks right, he's the kind of guy that you really want to break or you got, really want to have uh, the rights to at the lowest amount of money. And you know what? Who knows? Maybe by the time he's a free agent, the arenas rule won't even be in play anymore under the new CBA. So uh, it's a with him, it's a situation where I think you do want to keep him to that three-year limit just in case uh, something weird happens. But – We'll see what goes on. I mean, uh, all, I know, all I know is that I like the prospect, and I think that he's a terrific get for the Lakers there at number 32.
2: So you said three winners. I'm guessing those are two. Is your third one Denver?
1: It's not. I have Denver somewhere, you know, probably in the back half of, like, the top ten, like if I was ordering, uh, you know, teams in terms of, you know, the drafts that I liked. Okay. Uh, the team that I think blew it out of the water tonight is Memphis. Yeah, Memphis uh,
2: did a really good job.
1: Yeah, Memphis goes out, uh, drafts. Wade Baldwin, which is just a terrific fit for them. Uh, Baldwin is the kind of guy that it's six foot four, six eleven wingspan. You could play him with Mike Conley if Conley decides to return, or you could act, or he could act as Conley's replacement, which is interesting enough because he's kind of an, a higher upside player. I'm not entirely sure that he ends up sticking as a point guard because I don't know how much I feel comfortable with his. Uh, with his passing and decision-making ability from time to time, and particularly his ball-handling ability. He's a very rudimentary ball handler. He's just a straight-line guy that uh, really struggles to finish at the rim at this stage as well. So uh, I have my questions there in some capacities, but he is kind of a high upside guy that has pretty good positional versatility, both offensively and defensively, and that really does matter to me. Uh, where they blew it out of the water is by getting Deontay Davis at number 31, uh, first and foremost, and then... Uh, Rade Zagarotz is another guy that I'm a pretty big fan of and getting him at number 35. And all that they had to pay to do that is a lottery-protected 2019 Clippers pick that could eventually revert, if it doesn't transfer by 2020, it could revert to a second-round pick. So like, that's an incredible value to me. I had Deontay Davis at number 9 on my draft board coming into the night. Deontay Davis is one of those guys who is just so tremendously versatile defensively. He can really guard and move his feet on the perimeter. He blocks the weak side of the rim. He rebounds. Like there are just so many things to like about him on that end of the floor. The offense right now is so rudimentary. Like all he's really good for is catching lobs and you know, maybe by the midpoint of next season, he'll be able to knock down a few catch and shoot jumpers, but All that matters is that this kid can really have a high potential defensively. The question that I think made him drop a little bit is that I think teams wonder about his motor. And if you're kind of that defensive big man, you really do need to have that dog in you to really get up and down and uh, have that high motor. So I think that that's what made him drop. That concern has been out there. Uh, but it, it went too far tonight. There's no circumstance where a guy like Gershon Yebisele should be drafted over Deontay Davis. It, it's just crazy to me. Um.
2: Defensively, do you see him as more of a four or a five or both? I think that he's
1: one of those guys that can do both because of the way he moves his feet. I think that. By the time his body fills out, he'll probably be like 245 pounds, and he's going to be able to bang enough inside with centers with the way the game is going in terms of smaller guys. Yeah, you don't want him on a DeMarcus Cousins necessarily, but those guys are going away. So by the time that you know he's 23 years old, there might be like two or three of them in the league, and you just kind of press your luck. You know what I mean? So... You can do you can do it against fives in the modern NBA. You can do it against fours. I think uh, with the way he moves his feet and kind of slows down guys with his length and his athleticism defensively. Uh, there's just a lot to like about him in terms of the way that he is versatile and allows you to have a wide variety of players on the board for you to fit with him. It, it's kind of like why Serge Ibaka fetched so much. Uh, from Orlando, it's not that he is worth Victor Oladipo and Demonis Sabonis and Ursan Ilyasova, because I don't think he's worth all of that in terms of him being on a one-year deal and uh, the Magic essentially giving up like potentially 12 years of control of uh, assets. That That's insane. But what he is is he allows you to play a legitimate defender who can stretch the floor next to Nikola Vucevic, which is so valuable to what the Magic are building right now. They need a guy that can do that. and Maybe they can get them to renegotiate and extend. Maybe not. But a guy like Ibaka really helps them with what they're building. And I think it's the same thing with Deontay Davis defensively, uh, just because he is able to guard a wide variety of players and in a wide variety of capacities.
2: And I'll have to lean on you heavily on their other pick, Zagorak, because I just don't know him very well.
1: Oh, Rade Zagorak. he is an awesome, fun player, man. Uh, this kid is a six-foot-eight, six-foot-nine uh, small forward. I—I I mean, he can—he occasionally plays the four for uh, MegaLex, but I would be surprised if he ends up doing that. I think he's just kind of a big three because he is a. You know, terrific creative ball handler. You should see some of the moves he can do with his hand eye coordination. He missed a decent amount of the year with a broken wrist, but when he came back in March, I would say that it's pretty arguable that he was the best player on that team, that included Timotei Luwawu and Avika Zubats, who, uh, you know, both of whom I think I've enumerated being pretty high on. Uh, he's a really good shooter, really good creator, uh, shoots it off the dribble and off of the catch. The question is defense. I mean, I don't know if he's going to be able to defend anyone, but for the Grizzlies. Uh, It wouldn't surprise me if the Grizzlies saw him as a top 20 player in this draft for them just because they really need a creative wing like that. They can do a lot of different stuff and bring youth to the table. So uh, to get these three guys who uh, are are just tremendous uh, in terms of value in this draft, I really think that the Grizzlies may have gotten three rotation contributors in a single draft, and that like it's unheard of. It's why everyone talks about the Draymond Green, uh, Harrison Barnes draft for Golden State. It's just so difficult to do.
2: And what I lo- love about Memphis's draft, I actually I hadn't thought of this, but I had them third. I have them in a different tier than than my top two. But what I love about it is it gives them a ceiling again. Memphis is a team that has missed on a lot of their picks and that just got a little bit older, and so they didn't have that in their system. And while there is a lot of uncertainty now, given Mike Conley and how Marcus Soule's going to age, though he's a certainty with his contract, and Zebos expiring after this coming season, they have guys now that could elevate themselves and, then, and thus elevate the team. And that's really exciting.
1: Yeah, you really need to hope that uh, those guys can elevate the team, I would say. Now that Dave Yeager's gone, I like to think that they're going to play their young guys a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to see what happens. And we'll have to see if, you know, a guy like a Jordan Adams is even going to be valuable anymore because he's having, like, is it cartilage? Like replacement surgery or something Something where they're like...
2: Something scary like that, yeah.
1: Injecting cartilage like into his knee in some capacity. Uh, I don't really know all of the details behind that, but it's like a weird, weird thing that I'd never really heard of before. Um, Then they have guys like you know a Jarrell Martin who I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of if Brandon Wright who you know is getting up there in age he's probably like 27 or so now but he's an interesting young enough guy to kind of come along and help you out so these three guys though that they drafted tonight can play a big role in solidifying the youth of the Memphis basketball team and like you said, that is just so essential with the way they're going in terms of a franchise.
2: Are you ready to feel old? Brandon Wright turns 29 before next season.
1: He turns 29 before next season. How about that?
2: I didn't. I mean, I didn't realize it was that long. That's, that's incredible because I remember how young he was when he came in when the when the Warriors traded Jason Richardson for his rights.
1: Yeah, that's right. No, that's a that's a really uh, really surprising thing to me. I, I'm a, I'm a little bit shocked that he's that young. Or that old, that old really.
2: Yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. So, okay, so the team that I had in my top group that you didn't, but you still had relatively high, is Denver. And I'm trying to think of what the discrepancy is, but I'm guessing it relates to Jamal Murray, who I absolutely love.
1: No, I think Murray is good. Uh, he's a really good uh, mix next to Emmanuel Moutier. I, I have no problems with Jamal Murray. I think that uh, the question that I had more was, I don't really see the fit with Malik Beasley with what they have right now on that roster. I mean, they don't really have a guy like, well, they have, like, Gary Harris. They have Jamal Murray now. They have Manuel Moutier and Jameer Nelson. I mean, Will Barton. Like, they have a lot of those kind of undersized guards. You know what I mean? And Barton isn't necessarily undersized height-wise, but he's really skinny, and you probably want him defending twos most of the time. So it's – it's a really weird fit for me with Beasley. Uh, and, you know, 15, I could take or leave Hernan Gomez. I think he's an okay value there, not, not anything incredible. So uh, I really like the Murray pick. I was so, so on their next two picks. Nothing crazy.
2: I like their I like their next two picks more. Hernan Gomez is is intriguing to me as a guy who could potentially stretch the floor and still rebound. Like that's actually part of the reason why I always really like Nikola Mirotic is the idea that while when you're playing you're playing the four, you're not asking a guy to be a rim protector. Of course, it's a nice benefit. We've talked about Serge Ibaka a little bit. If you could get a guy who can stretch the sure. floor and rim protect, that's that's a whole different thing. That guy's not that guy's not going fifteen and. So Hunter Gomez, if he can do the next best thing for me, which is have, have a comfortable jump shot and rebound, that's enough for me. That that you can build a defense around somebody like that, and then also have them as an important piece of the offense. And Beasley, I agree with you on fit, but I, as a as a kind of if you want to call it as a draft morality thing, and I actually said this on on Bucks on on radio up in in Wisconsin today, is I firmly believe that you draft based on who you think is the best player available. So I agree with you that Beasley is not a perfect match for the talent that they currently have, but I find him a compelling and worthwhile lottery ticket, and that if he works, then you make everything else kind of go into place. And if it doesn't work, then, I mean, it's not like they drafted him super high.
1: See, I actually don't really agree with the whole best player available thing. I think that it's valuable in some capacities, uh, but I do think fit matters not only in terms of player development, but in terms of building trade value for potentially moving these guys in the future, right? Like if a guy like a Malik Beasley doesn't get a ton of playing time for two years, and then you look to move him as a prospect, I know that he'll only be 21 at that stage, but then you're talking about a mystery guy that you're moving it, 21 years old two years left on his rookie deal. Yeah, right. That guy isn't incredibly valuable. He's a throw-in in a deal. So I like to think of things in terms of fit because I think it's a lot more valuable for teams to do that. Like a guy, for instance, that got drafted tonight is Isaiah Whitehead. Uh, I really love the fit of Isaiah Whitehead because I think that he's going to be able to create value for the Nets. Even though I don't really love Isaiah Whitehead, the player, I think that Whitehead is going to be able to create enough value for the Nets to move him for an asset in the future. Uh, I think opportunity is so valuable, not only in terms of player development, but also in terms of you know building just asset value for teams.
2: Plus, the Nets drafted a guy who could actually be on the court. Congratulations.
1: Eh, one of them. <laughs> yeah, one of them.
2: So okay, that actually leads me into a guy that I, when I've seen him healthy, I really like Karis Levert. But that when he's healthy is incredibly specious.
1: Yeah, I, I have no idea what they were doing with that one. Because <laughs> I, think... I mean,
2: like I, I think it was Will Carroll said he's like I don't even think a red flag is even a strong enough term for what some people think of with Levert.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a very dangerous situation that they just took Levert that highly. Uh, I don't know why they did this. Uh, I don't know why they felt the need to trade Thaddeus Young to move up and get him. Uh I mean, you could have probably bought a pick in the range that you bought Isaiah Whitehead and gotten him, I think, honestly. I mean, uh, it seems strange to me to do that. Um, You know, I talked to a few people around the league just kind of during and after the draft, and they were... Is shocked as I was with it. Um, the other thing about Lavert is that, yeah, you like him as a prospect. Like he's he's a solid like first round pick as a prospect, like in the twenty sixteen NBA draft. But like he's not this can't miss dude either. Like he's a really bad defensive player who also has kind of a beeline effect going on where. B-line's teams play in a ton of space and often make their players look much better than they actually are. So I don't know what really to think of Levert, the prospect, in some capacity. I think that, you know, the shooting, the ball handling, the passing, uh, those are all skills that really translate to the modern NBA. But he's, like, not this can't-miss dude in terms of his game, and he's not this can't-miss dude in terms of, you, you know, his injuries. So
2: And he turns 22, like, yeah. he turns 22 before his first NBA game, whenever his first NBA game is.
1: Yeah, it's a, it was a strange pick for me. I couldn't really get behind it.
2: Along the lines of strange picks, a team that just confounded me for a lot of reasons, including what you've talked about in terms of the idea of fit, was Atlanta. And I'm just yeah. not sold on Torian Prince.
1: Yeah, I mean, I had Torian Prince at 24 on my big board going into the night. Uh, you know, I kind of had a feeling that Atlanta was going to do something like this, where they got number 12 and then just kind of went for guys that they worked out at number 12 or like guys that they've met with, like a Malik. I think that's why you heard the name Malik Beasley before the draft in Atlanta, because I'm pretty sure Atlanta, like, had met with him. He's from Atlanta. Um, they probably know him relatively well. Uh, they were always, I think, going to take a guy that they knew relatively well, which is very strange to me because I don't know why you would trade for number 12 in that circumstance. Like, what's, what's the purpose of it? I mean, I get it. Or that trade Jeff-
2: for it and then trade down.
1: Yeah, exactly. Trade for it and trade down would have been the best circumstance because Jeff Teague, uh, I like the idea of getting pick number 12 for Jeff Teague. Because you get eight years of control over a dude as opposed to just, you know, like one year of Jeff Teague before he leaves on a non-contender, or non-championship contender at least. Because there, there's just no way Jeff Teague was returning to that situation. So I liked the idea of it, but in execution, Torian Prince is fine, I guess. I mean, he's there's a lot of overlap there in terms of what he and Paul Millsap do. I don't know what you do when Millsap is off the floor. I mean, maybe you might just be expecting to lose Millsap next year at this stage if you're expecting to lose Al Horford now. Uh, maybe you trade Paul Millsap to Toronto or something this offseason, which I think could be a really solid deal. But I'm not entirely sure what Torian Prince does. And then I'm not entirely sure what DeAndre Bembry does with Torian Prince And like Kent Bazemore and Tabo and stuff on the floor because he kind of tanks your floor spacing, especially if Dennis Schroeder is your new point guard. So, I I mean, I I wasn't a huge fan of what Atlanta did. I think I gave them like a C in my draft rankings because, or my draft grades because, yeah, I like the idea of trading number 12 for, or trading Jeff Teague for uh, a valuable lottery pick, but they just didn't execute it well.
2: Yeah, I think Prince, I, I don't, love him really on either end which is always a concern because like for me I look for a reason that somebody should, will stick on an, in an NBA rotation and with Prince, I, I just personally don't see it.
1: Yeah, I think that he can score in a wide variety of ways. Like, he, he's a guy that can kick like two dribbles, pull up. He can shoot the three ball. He can get all the way to the rim, and he's pretty, you know, he's a little bit bouncy, I would say. He's more powerful than he is, like, you know, bouncy when he gets to the rim. But I think he's going to be able to score, and I worry about the defense, though, because coming from Baylor, they play that goofy 1 3 1 zone where he was always just on that right wing. I don't know how that's exactly going to work necessarily. He has the tools to defend. He has the tools to defend a wide variety of players in the NBA. But it's very difficult to tell if he's going to be able to actually get that together.
2: So we'll bounce around a little bit, but one guy, another one that I just don't know that well that I'm, I'm hoping you do is Papianis, that the Kings <laughs> the Kings taking him... Can like, we just
1: talk about the Kings, yes. what they did?
2: Yes, let's talk. You and I have done an extended podcast about the Sacramento Kings, and that, now we could do another one.
1: Yeah, because I loved the idea of what the Kings did tonight. This is a team that was totally bereft of assets going into the night, right? Like... I mean, yeah, you have DeMarcus Cousins, but DeMarcus Cousins is the guy that you would probably need to trade to start over, but they're trying to build around DeMarcus Cousins, so you need some assets to do that. Um, I loved the idea of even like a guy like Willie Cauley-Stein to me is not like a great asset because I don't know that he has all that much trade value around the league. Uh, so like I loved the idea of them taking number eight and trading down for – you know, multiple assets like Bogdan Bogdanovich, who has developed really nicely in his two years overseas and uh, getting number 13 and getting number 28 and uh, getting this, getting into like another future pick, like getting three for the price of one to me was what they needed to do in a lot of ways. And I loved that. And I absolutely, loved getting Malachi Richardson, or really just the number twenty-two pick for Marco Bellinelli. I, we'll talk about Charlotte too, but I don't know what that was about. That was a it was that that was dumbfounding to me in, in so many ways that they made that move. Um, you go out and get a Malachi Richardson. That was an awesome move. You you know you make the right move in terms of building up your asset database in some way because. I, I don't I don't even know, like, what else they have beyond Willie Cauley-Stein that could have trade value because I think they've been trying to trade Ben McLemore, and clearly, I mean, it, it's not really working out for them all that well. So what do you do with these assets? You draft Georgios Papianis, who I don't think was in any other team's top 20. I'll just be straight up with that. I, I really do not think that any other team in the league had him in the top 20 on their board. Um you draft Scala Bezier, who is a really interesting prospect to get at number 28. I had him at number 11 on my board coming into the night, but that's not a great situation for him. He's a guy that really Not needs. a
2: great situation. It's about the worst possible situation. Yeah, like,
1: well, no. Well, except that
2: day have Dave
1: I, I was going to say, like, I think the Bucks would be a worse situation than Sacramento.
2: Interesting. It,
1: and we'll, we'll talk about that when we talk about Thon. But, like... I, I I think they need a team, I think, or I think that Lebissier needed to go to a team that is a D-League affiliate that will give him time to just kind of work on his basketball sense, work on his basketball IQ, and and just kind of, uh, really improve in terms of the way he reacts to the game around him. Uh, so I think that that's okay, but like, you look at what's going to be around him, Willie, and, you know, demarcus and just that entire mess i don't i don't think that that's a great situation for him um and then you get bogdanovich that's great you get malachi that's great you get isaiah cousins who's a guy that a lot of teams really liked. that's great uh but like there's just so much wasted opportunity there like you could have done so much better with the moves that you made to, you know, really shore up your asset database. Like, if they could have come out of that realistically with, you know, DeJounte Murray at number 29, who I'm not the biggest fan of, but he would be a good pick for them at number 29 or 28 or whatever it was. He went number 29. Uh, number 28, I think he uh, would have gone if he would have gone to Sacramento. Correct. And then you come out of that with, you know, maybe uh, – I'm trying to think, like a Denzel Valentine on the wing uh, at number 13. That would have Or been Baldwin. Or Wade Baldwin, right. Like, you go out and get those guys. I think would have been just, again, tremendous in terms of getting really good players. Even a, a Jijic or a, a Zubats. Like, just go out and get guys like that. Don't, don't go out and draft... Uh, not even, I, I guess you can't even draft Jijic and Jubots because they're, uh, you know, true centers, but anything but a true center that uh, is like a back-to-the-basket guy who is essentially the same exact thing as DeMarcus Cousins, except way worse.
0: So, it, it, so It's you, just weird.
2: Here's, there are a couple things to unpack there, and I, I agree with you on a lot of this, but here's how I'll phrase it. So, The trade that they made for Marco Bellinelli was, in my eyes, the best draft day trade in terms of asset acquisition, we can call it, of the last, at least the last two years. It might be a lot more than that. I would have to go back and really count it. Because Marco Bellinelli, to me, was a negative asset. Not a huge negative asset, but a negative asset. And they got the 22 pick for him from a team that it made no sense. Just zero. Why
1: why would Charlotte want to add to their cap right now? Like especially, so
2: especially somebody 45 who over who goddamn
1: over, free agents right now i don't know
2: their their team is just they have a lot of these kind of like weird kind of mistake type things that they that they've done and it's very concerning like I, so i wrote before the before the draft i wrote it this morning when i woke up i i, I just kind of spontaneously like man imagine if they had kept the qualifying offer to Bismack biombo and made the Rumored, reported, whatever you want to call it, um, trade for the pick that became Frank Kaminsky. Like they would, they, like they have a lot of guys that I like, but they would have even more guys that I really like, and they just keep on shooting themselves in the foot with these types of things. And when you are a mid-market team or even a small-market team, you can't afford that because yeah. you don't have that many bites of the apple, especially when you're already good. And it really adds up. It it. it, it you, you can't get those opportunities back. So Charlotte made a gigantic mistake, so they got that pick. And really, anything you do with that pick is, is better than, than Marco Bellinelli, which is why it was such a disastrous trade. So you have that. What bothers me so much about what Sacramento has done in the last two years is that while the trade that they made with the Sixers is incomprehensibly bad, and the primary benefit of that was Rajon Rondo, beyond that trade, which of course I could, we've already spent a podcast doing it, but I could do more, is the long-term assets that have been cultivated by the cap space they've had and their draft picks the last couple years are not only guys who conflict directly with each other, they are also guys who conflict directly with their best player. And that makes no sense because it's on the peripheries. You know, if it's in the middle positions, you know, if it's in that kind of the center where the two, three, and four can all bounce around a little bit. Yeah, you can get guys that that duplicate each other. You know, if they're good enough, that's justifiable. But when they're straight fives, you can't do that because you can't play them together.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, uh, Yeah, <laughs>
2: it's 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 insane. Got, and 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 got, and, 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 so th- related, and they're nuking right. and they're nuking the fridge in terms of all of their trade values because you yep. can't you can't do anything with any of these guys. I mean cousins of course can stand alone in that way, but also waiting as long as they have, and Vlade said that basically they're not trading him this year, which my interpretation is this off season. He is getting very, very close to the point where he starts hemorrhaging value just because you're not having him that long. I mean, if they don't if they don't trade him before this deadline, a team is going to only have him for one year and one playoff run. And mm-hmm. that is nice, certainly. But that is not near the hall that, that somebody should and presumably did offer them before. Yeah.
1: No, I I agree. It's
2: mm-hmm. it's so it's so infuriating cuz they like they have they've done certain things right and like I don't particularly love m- Chris for them, you know, like he was probably, he was probably the best guy available at that pick, but I don't love, I don't love the, for,
1: fit. for most, I mean. Yeah. But so, yeah. so
2: trade down, they got it, they got a, re- a a decent enough haul for it, but then they just, they just got guys that, that don't make sense with it. And it's, it's just so frustrating. And I, I, I wish it, so a guy that I'm not, I, I mean, I know his game, but that I'm just not completely, I haven't figured it out yet all the way as Henry Ellenson to Detroit. Because I don't think you can start him, like, now or long term, partially because he sucks defensively, and also because if you have Andre Drummond, then he has to play the four, and that takes away a lot of his surplus value offensively.
1: I actually kind of like him as the backup five that Detroit took, because I think they really needed a backup center, because Aaron Baines, that contract really didn't work out all that well for them this season. But uh, I think that you can take him as the backup five kind of run like a four and a half out offense and and do something do some really interesting things if you're stan van gundy there uh in terms of what allenson can bring it's so difficult to say right now i mean he's a theoretical jump shooter who uh the shot looks really pretty but the percentages have never been there even back when he was in high school um it's just really difficult to tell. Uh, the swing skill there is the jump shot. If he can't shoot, he'd be a stretch four that can't shoot and can't defend. Uh, it'd be like those Urson Ilyasova years where he shot, like, 30% from three. Uh, like, Ellenson would get to the line like Urson does, too, but, like, how much value does that really have, you know? So I, I like the idea of Ellenson if he can – actually shoot the basketball and I don't think that's assured and I think that's why you saw him really kind of plummet down the board uh, during this draft because you know he's he's a 250 pound dude at six foot 11 with long arms that you know just doesn't move all that well and isn't really all that much of a shooter yet
2: so I've talked about this with Nate a little bit when we were doing our draft stuff and I think you and I have talked about it as well of one of the things that I think about with prospects and this has been true the entire time I've done the draft is Okay, so you take the theory of a player, and then you say, "Well, what if X doesn't work?" And so for him, it's like yeah. if his if his jump shot doesn't work, he's not bad. He's unplayable. He's not an NBA player if 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 he can't do a jump shot because he's terrible defensively. I his rebounding is intriguing, but I don't think it's all the way there. And so like he there just isn't a through point in his game at that point, and that's really risky when you consider that he's never going to be, like, a rim-protecting center. So, like, he can't fall back on anything. And he's skilled, and there are parts of him that I really like, and I'm happy he didn't go top 10. But I I just think there's that. And then the other part of it for me, and this is a, a very particular thing with Detroit, and this will actually tie in with the next team I want to talk about, is Detroit has this really underrated, underappreciated weakness that they don't have guys who can create offense. Like, Reggie Jackson is oh, really God, the yes. only guy on their team who can create offense. Is that and,
1: even, like, an underappreciated, like, note is, about them?
2: It is a little bit, because people are like, oh, you know, like, what do they need to get better? It's like, they need at least two more guys that can handle the ball. One is a backup point guard, and then the other one should be just somebody else. Like, you could think about, you know, like, not saying they should get Evan Fournier, but somebody who can do at least a little something. You yep. know, like, M-Fournier's now. And I've had, like, I, I don't, I knew that. Stan Van wasn't going to draft Wade Baldwin, but I kind of thought like that would be a smart move. You know, you get a guy whether he's the one or a two, you know, kind of wherever that goes. Also, that would match up relatively well with Reggie, though K- KCP does a lot of that stuff as well.
1: I actually had read, or had Wade Baldwin to Detroit in my last mock draft.
2: I would have I completely supported that, and so then what that leads me into is so, if he had seen it the way that I did, and of course that is that is a very different thing, there is no chance that if Boston had traded from 16 to 18 the Yabusele would not have been on the board like, it is a guarantee that he would have been there so for them it's just a value proposition like first of all you're getting the guy for less you're probably going to get a, like a, a really small asset like maybe you get a distant second round pick but why not
1: yeah no i agree um
2: and now let's talk about the Celtics.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know what Boston was doing tonight.
2: <laughs> I, I think it's really interesting because Jalen Brown is a guy that I really wanted to like. He went to Cal, he went to my mom's alma mater, I saw him play in person. He seems like a really nice kid, seems like he puts it together, and unlike a couple other guys, I can see a path for him to be very good. Like it is oh, it is yeah. it is a thing that is out there. However, I am very rigid in a few things, and one of them in the modern NBA is, if you do not defend fives, and you are not a reliable shooter, you have to be insanely good at almost everything else. And the best example of this is probably Giannis. Like, you have to basically be as good as Giannis is for me, or as good as Ricky Rubio is, to justify being on the floor for 30-plus minutes a game if the other team can go under everything involving you.
1: I'm trying to decide how I feel about that. You know, this year Nick Batum was obviously a, like, obviously a stud, but, like, last year Batum was still playable, you know?
2: But his jump shot's better than Jalen Brown's.
1: Was it last year, coming off that wrist injury or the hand oh, injury? Oh,
2: oh, you're talking about when he was hurt. Oh, yeah, when he was hurt, yeah. he was pretty shaky. But, yeah, he was he was pretty close to unplayable during that point, but you knew that that was wasn't... Was he, though?
1: Like, he was, he was fine. Like, he wasn't, like you know, Nick Batum good, like where you're like a borderline all-star player, but like he was playable, like he wasn't terrible.
2: Yeah, I guess. I didn't, I, I, th- I thought he was, he was dragging them down a little bit, but.
1: I'm trying, I'm just trying to think of like examples like that off the top of my head. You're right though. It's,
2: it's really hard. Like it's it
1: tricky. Yeah.
2: Cause there, it's, it's something that as def- it's one of those big differences between the modern NBA and let's say like the eighties.
1: Or unless you're like elite, like Tony Allen, I guess. Right. Sure, like and Tony it, 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 like, Allen, and it, it Tony Allen became
2: unplayable, too. You know, yeah. like, the Warriors were able to play Tony Allen off the floor, even though he was one of the best perimeter defenders in the league, just because you yeah. could do that. And Jalen Brown is a better offensive player, should be, than Tony Allen is. But yeah. the difference is not so severe. And part of that that concerns me is that he is not somebody who is good enough to, with the ball in his hands to have the ball in his hands in half court. And... If he doesn't have the ball in his hands half court, and this is the Giannis problem, but Giannis solved this by becoming point Giannis, is if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, then you basically get an extra help defender. And yeah, and I don't think he's big enough personally to defend fours with much much regularity. He could be kind of like a guy who does it in switches and things like that. Like there is a mm. path, there is a pathway to to him being good, but there's that, and then there's the compounding thing. That is Marcus Smart, and I really like Marcus Smart. Oh, yeah. I like him a lot, but you, unless those guys get a, one or both of them get a lot better shooting the ball, you cannot play them together. Just straight up, you cannot play them together and be a successful offensive team.
1: I didn't even feel all that good about playing Chris Dunn and Marcus Smart together, and Chris Dunn's a much better shooter than Jalen is at this stage. Uh, and, yeah. and, Chris,
2: and Chris Dunn has better judgment, you know, like he, I, I so Jalen, <laughs> I think he does like Jalen, uh, maybe it's the, something that will get better as the game slows down a little bit for him, but it seemed to me like at Cal every once in a while when I would like see him in person or when I'd see him just on TV, that he would get into a situation that was just a little bit over his head with the ball in his hands yeah. and just kind of screw it up. Yeah, and Chris Dunn, Chris Dunn just has so many reps. He, he, yeah. he, he does do that, but he does it a little bit less. And so, Jalen, I understand liking him. I understand taking him in the lottery. I have a lot of trouble taking him number three, especially I really like Dragon Bender. I really like Jamal Murray. There, There are a series of other guys that I like. And the other... Big, big, mega issue that I have with Jalen Brown, and Nate and I got into an argument about this, is he has defensive potential, but he did not show it regularly enough at Cal for me to believe, oh, this guy's going to be an ace defender.
1: Oh, I don't agree with that, yeah. I think he was a really good defender at Cal.
2: See, I didn't see it. Maybe maybe it is sample bias, just in the stuff I saw, but I, I didn't. See, I saw it in flashes. You saw, it
1: early, you saw him early in the year, didn't you? I saw
2: him a little later, too.
1: Did you? Yeah, okay. I saw him in
2: conference at least once in person, and I saw probably like four or five of their conference games. Um, live in full
1: yeah no i mean he was a really good defender this year i think part of the thing is that cal's defensive scheme really uh i don't want to say it hides their defenders because their defenders are so uh tasked with cutting off penetration and making sure that nobody gets into the middle that yeah, I it is think hard
2: to evaluate him. That could be the issue. It it's can be a little bit I wasn't hard. giving him, I wasn't giving him credit for things because he wasn't asked to do them. That could be true.
1: Yeah, and like he's a guy that isn't going to get like a bunch of steals because of their scheme. Like you look at what he can do though, like six foot seven with the seven foot wingspan, and you know he's uh, he's a smart player. You would think it's not going to be a problem to force turnovers whenever you unleash him too. So. Uh, I've always liked him defensively. I think he's really good at cutting off penetration against uh, – he was really good against college players at least. And once he continues to kind of grow into his instinctual awareness of what's happening around him defensively, I think he can be a really, really good defender.
2: I'm trying to think if there's anything else on him. Uh, what did you think of Zizic?
1: I love him as a player. I mean, that's a high-motor player that uh, is probably the most NBA-ready European player in this draft, I think, just because you could stick him in a game right now and he'd be fine. I mean, he would rebound, he'd piss people off, uh, he would catch lobs, and uh, he might struggle a little bit on the perimeter against you know quicker players uh, upgrading from the Adriatic League. To the NBA, but uh, I think that you could play him right now in an NBA game, and it wouldn't be a disaster for 15 minutes. Um, he's 19 years old; uh, like there's room to grow. I don't think he's Nikola Jokic necessarily because Jokic, I think, just has better basketball IQ and like better skills in terms Jokic of passing. Such a good seeing, passer. Yeah, oh seeing the floor and everything. Uh, I think that that's going to be a major differentiator between the two. But, I mean, you look and, you know, he's a year ahead of Jokic's schedule in terms of, you know, how Jokic was drafted at 19 and then uh, it took him that next year to really figure it out. Zizic is where Jokic was in Jokic's draft year already. Uh, or Jokic's second year after his draft year already. He he was a stud this year, he was total stud this year. Um In terms of their other picks, I, I've already kind of ripped on the Yabusele pick. I don't get it. Uh, he's not it. Uh, people are like comparing him to Draymond Green, and I'm just like, this dude is six foot eight, two hundred and sixty pounds, and like, yeah, he has like zero body fat, but. You can't really compare dudes to like Draymond Green's body type because nobody that has that body type has ever like, has ever developed it like Draymond Green has now, you know? And,
2: and Draymond Green is so skilled. Like, I don't, I don't understand how people have, have issues with it. like Draymond Green and, and he has, to me, yeah, Dre,
1: Dre is one of, since 2009-10 college season, he is one of three players along with Royce White and Ben Simmons to have an assist rate over, like, I think 25 or so. So, like, this, this dude is just tremendous passer, tremendous skill, and always has been.
2: Yeah, I don't think is going to do that.
1: He's yeah. not going to do that. He can shoot a little bit. But, like, to me, he's always struck me as... The dude on the really bad French team, like his team won like three games this year or something. He was getting minutes because they didn't have anyone else to get minutes. And, you know, he looks fine on the floor. Like he's not a disaster on the floor by any means uh, in that league. He's actually really effective, but I don't know, man. Like I don't, I, I don't get it with him. I don't think he moves his feet quick enough. I don't think that he can. Uh, Just defend generally in the NBA, and I'm not sure he has enough game offensively. He can face up and shoot, but I'm not sure he has enough game outside of that to really become an effective player.
2: Is it time to talk about Thon?
1: Yes. Uh, I mean, can can I note some other Celtics stuff? Oh yeah, 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 sure, of course. Um, Demetrius Jackson was interesting. Uh, because they have a million point guards and I don't know how they're going to get them all reps, even in Maine this year. So I, like, I don't
2: know how they're going to build their 15 man roster.
1: Like, yeah. I have no idea. One guy that I think is going to be on that 15 man roster is going to be Ben Benzel. Uh, you really like him. I don't like love him, but I think he's going to be like a bench player. Him and, like, Jordan, because, like, Jordan Mickey, I think, will make that team this year. Oh, absolutely. I think Bentle makes that team as well. He, like, I think that you probably don't want to play those two together, obviously, but at some point, uh, you would think that there's going to be a time where they need them both. And I would like to have Bentle on that team. And then Abdul Nader came out of nowhere for me. Uh, Yeah, he'd been working out really well for NBA teams, but this is a dude that... But, uh, I mean, he, he was at NIU, had some problems at NIU, had, like, a hip injury that was really bad. Um, he's long. He, he's semi-athletic. Like, that was a weird one. The only reason I think they drafted him is he agreed to be stashed. Uh, and he was probably the first guy they talked to that agreed to be stashed. But, like, I don't know, man. That was a weird one. Uh, that was kind of a – I don't want to say it was a wasted pick, but, like, I don't see him becoming an NBA player.
2: Yeah, I, I have a lot less of an issue with that in the second round, especially with the you know with fifty eight than I do with what OKC did with Josh Hustis, where I was just I was just horrified by by everything involved in that process. And yeah, I think, that was. Weird. I, I think it's burning them a little bit, but yeah, with the Celtics, I mean, my beef with them for the last couple of years, and it's funny because every once in a while, Celtics fans get really mad at me for this, but it's like. They their assets aren't building to anything. It's kind of like they're 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 never getting to the fireworks factory. And yeah, it's and they're and the underrated aspect of that is that they have these really good contracts, hilariously good contracts in Isaiah Thomas and Avery Bradley. They
1: Jay Crowder t-
2: too. Well, yeah, Jay Crowder is ridiculous. He'll be he'll be around. They get immense credit for that. But Isaiah and Bradley both only have two years left on these cheap contracts. Then they'll have a cap- low cap hold if they decide to stay and all that kind of stuff. They'll be unrestricted. But once those turn into their new contracts, those guys aren't really values anymore. They could still be good players. They can still be important parts of your team and they'll be older. You know, I I think there's a very real possibility that the next Isaiah Thomas contract is not a particularly good one. And I like Isaiah a lot. I've been, I've been one of his, one of his cheerleaders forever, but that's an issue with him. And so you see all of these Boston guys, a lot of whom I like, but it doesn't all fit together, and for reasons that I will never understand, though they could rectify this in free agency, they don't use any of these assets towards a room protecting center. And they were able to be successful defensively without it last year, but they're always going to have a ceiling if they just don't put this together in the right way.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. Sorry, I got distracted by the fact that I think Kyle Wilcher's got a two-year guaranteed deal with Houston.
2: What? Guaranteed for two years?
1: That's what Andy Katz is reporting. That's well, a that's weird interesting. one. Um, sorry. No, I no, that's just,
2: that's justifiable. That's justifiable distraction.
1: I agree with you on the fact that, uh, I wonder about whether or not they value rim protection enough. Uh, it's a very strange thing to not really value that. But then again, like, like, they, they had an opportunity tonight to get that from Mark Stein's report saying, like, they could have gotten Erland's Noel. I mean, That, you would think, would be the kind of move that would make sense for them. I'm not even the biggest Noel fan as an asset because he only has one year left, and I wouldn't really want to be the person paying New Noel. But, like, man, it's just a weird, weird, weird thing, uh, the way that they're building their roster. I think that they also got kind of screwed tonight and got screwed overall over the course of the last year because this draft is so weak in terms of what it is. And if you notice tonight nobody acquired i believe a 2017 like 2017 pick because everybody is hoarding them everyone loves them and you would imagine that the celtics would like to have gotten their hands on some of those 2017 picks using their 2016 picks but it's just not going to happen so you need to kind of find a find a way around that and maybe consolidate like phoenix did tonight and consolidate picks and move up but I don't know that people were willing to work with Danny Ainge in this capacity because they're worried that Danny Ainge is going to kick their ass in trades. So,
2: well, and because what he's offering isn't necessarily the easiest thing to sell them on. Like, they're the guys that they have are good, but they're not like the best, like going to probably be the best players on those teams. And the other thing that screwed Boston in that sense is that the real game-changing young guys, you know, the James Harden trade, if you will, those guys aren't available. You know, the, those trades haven't been on the. Those trades haven't been on the market and so they have built this asset pool for that and it hasn't been there and that's no one's fault that's you know though the James Harden trade never should have happened in the first place so you know that's just kind of the way that the way that things these things go sometimes but Boston they'll still be a good team you know like if their goal is to make the playoffs win a series every once in a while they can certainly do that for the next five six years or whatever they want to do even longer than that with Brad Stevens who I love but if their goal is to, like, win a championship, they're going to need a lot of work.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it's a, it was. I don't know what they did tonight. Uh, they just kind of, and like I said with Yabisele, I think they kind of ran into a circumstance where they needed to stash a player. And he was probably the guy that said he was willing to be stashed. But, yeah, I mean, I think you just got to do better than that guy to be honest. I think you worry about... I think at 16, you take the guy that you're not going to stash, and then just kind of go from there. Maybe they outsmarted themselves a little bit. But let's talk about Thon now, because that was... I had nothing on Thon, man. The two, like, so, my, so many events tonight left me speechless in a wide variety of ways. The Thon one, though, I don't want to say it made me viscerally angry, but like I don't know what why you would do that.
2: So what surprises me about it is not so much taking Thon because there's a lot about him that intrigues me. And I'm somebody who, when when you're out of the guys that I really like, intrigue is something that is justifiable. But it's another example of, did they need to take him as high as they did? You know, like, could they have moved down, gotten, like, to 15, let's say, or, you know, just hypothetically, to somewhere like that. Would somebody have really jumped them for Thawne at 15?
1: I think that the problem is that nobody really wanted to move up in this draft. So, like, I think if you're taking your guy, you're kind of just taking your guy at that stage. I just don't know why Thon would be your guy at number 10 with who was available. Um, th- this is a kid that, you know... Scalabissier went 28, and 100 NBA scouts last year were with me at Hoop Summit. I I don't think you were at Hoop Summit. Were you, Danny?
2: Not last year. I was there this year.
1: Right. 100 NBA scouts were in that room watching Scalabissier just whip Thon Maker's ass up and down that floor, like day after day in practice. And I I, I just can't. I I get that Thon is maybe, like, the best kid in the draft in terms of – the way he works and in terms of, uh, his, his character and everything that you're looking for in that capacity. And that is stuff that Milwaukee really values. But the kid just, he doesn't catch the ball that well. Uh, he is not a guy that uh, shoots the ball all that well yet because he has a flat jump shot. He's a very robotic and stiff mover. When he's on the floor, it's like he's out thinking himself, because again, he's really smart, but every time he does something, you can see the wheels turning in his head as he's trying to do it. It, it, It's just kind of not instinctual. And I really want to like Thon as a player, but I can't get behind him as a player because the skill set and what he's shown to this stage just haven't given you the reason to do that yet
2: he's a guy that i abs- i openly admit despite having seen him in person i openly admit that i haven't figured him out and there are things about him that i like i like that he feels comfortable with the ball in his hands though that isn't something that will happen very much in the pros i like that he i think he can slide between a few possession uh, positions defensively which is always yeah. something that, that's always something that i like but I have a lot of trouble with him. So what I like is that kind of the, the nebulous potential, like offensively and defensively, that he could kind of fill a couple different roles, be do some interesting things. The issue that I have with him, and this kind of... I, I don't know exactly who this ties back to. I thought I made this point earlier, is that I don't know what his calling card is going to be at all. Like, I, I just don't know. Like, when you're... When, to me, even at this point now, unless you're unless you're like a true center you have to have something that it's like this is the reason why your coach is going to put you in the game and right and you for also for him
1: for him i will say this i think that if he is going to be successful in the nba it's going to have to be his motor that's his skill because he does work really hard on the floor all the time he's the kind of guy that after hoop summit last year He went back and kind of regrouped and went out and dominated DeAndre Ayton. And people got really excited again because DeAndre Ayton, at that point, was known as one of the best high school prospects in the country. And I guess he still is. Um, He's just not like the surefire number one prospect. By the way, if you could combine
2: those two guys into one person, that guy would be amazing.
1: If you just gave DeAndre Ayton Thon's heart, I mean, that would. Uh, That's all you need to give him from Thon. Like, DeAndre Ayton has literally every other skill that an NBA player needs. He was, like, his his body is like he was built in a laboratory uh, and he can shoot the ball from distance. Like, he's a freak in so many ways. If you just gave him Thon Maker's Heart, it would be awesome. But uh, that's the problem. DeAndre, when he wants to play, is incredible. When he doesn't really care all that much, he can look really bad. And uh, Thon Maker specializes in playing really hard and making guys that don't really want to be there look really bad. Because and, and there
2: isn't much of that in the NBA. There is some,
1: but there's th- some, yeah, for sure. But I mean, once you hit the playoffs, there's not.
2: Yeah, it's I have I have trouble with it. Yeah, just from that standpoint, and with the idea that Milwaukee does have needs like they are a team that that still needs to figure stuff out their point guard position is basically a dumpster fire though michael carter williams could be a backup he's about to get he's about to you know hit restricted free agency they still need to figure out what they're doing at center
1: someone is going to give michael carter williams stupid money by the way
2: yeah i know it and i'm going to go absolutely insane just like somebody's going to give Dion waiters money this summer and i'm going to go insane but it might not be oklahoma city which is intriguing
1: See, I would rather give Waiters money than Carter Williams so would because I. I can at least trust Carter Williams to shoot it. A l- or not, trust, trust Dion Waiters to shoot it a little bit well, and more. Wait,
2: and Waiters, like, I think you can curtail some of his negative habits a little bit more. But yeah. Michael Carter Williams, like...
1: He, Has he, to have the ball in his hands all the time.
2: Yeah, and I, I like Michael Carter Williams a lot as a backup one, but I'm not sure that he's going to accept that. And I think the team that the team that gives him the best offer isn't going to see him that way. So it's well, gonna... you
1: know you know what the best role for Michael Michael Carter Williams is going to be eventually? It's going to be Sean Livingston. Yeah. But he needs to get to the point where he is broken down by failing before he gets to Sean Livingston.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. So uh the other the only other one I, I feel is mandatory to do here is, is Phoenix. And right. I love Dragon Bender. I think he's a, I had him theoretically I never made a draft board, but it would have had him third. And I like Marquise Chris I don't see that the, as a problem just because I don't think at this point it's more of an asset acquisition phase and you can evaluate them, but it is a little bit weird.
1: Where I worry about it, and I kind of agree with you, I don't really see it as a problem yet, but where I worry about it is that Chris kind of has it in his head, this idea that he's a three. Um, like He's been asked, who do you compare yourself to in terms of game? And for some ungodly reason, his agency keeps letting him say Rudy Gay.
2: (laughs) Oh, it would have been perfect if he'd gone to the Kings then.
1: And I'm just like, why? Why? Someone get in his ear and tell him to stop saying this. Like, why would you let him say that? Um, Why have you not gone through this already? Didn't we learn Um... this with
2: Andre Drummond? (laughs) <laughs>
1: yes it's just so weird i mean I, I don't know why you would do that um anyway like that that worries me you might play him at the three a little bit he might kind of develop strangely in terms of his skill set and he's the kind of guy that you don't want that to happen to you want him to develop as a stretch four. Because his skill set is as a stretch four and that's where he is most valuable is around the rim and hopefully uh, protecting the weak side of the rim defensively while stretching the floor offensively with his ability to shoot the basketball because he's not like an elite shooter. He's a good shooter for a four who can stretch the floor who has to have a guy out on him at all times but he's not really like a not a perimeter player in terms of his jump shot either and in terms of his ball skills. His ball skills for he's good ball skills for a four, but those good ball skills for a four turn into middling ball skills for a three real quickly.
2: Kind of like how I uh, I've told the story before, but I didn't like Noah Vonley as when he was only th- the size of a 3 and then when he grew to be a 4 I'm like oh okay this can work it's that's kind of like what it is with Chris is like if he plays the 4 then all those things that were issues become actually slight positives
1: actually Noah Vonley is like such a perfect example cuz I didn't really like Noah Vonley as a prospect either and I don't really like Chris all that much as a prospect I think I have him at like number 12 on my board and a lot of the reason I have him at number 12 is just because like NBA scouts keep telling me, yeah, you're too low on them. Like, you're too low on them. And I'm just like, I get why you're saying that. I just don't really agree all that much. Um like, so like I,
2: I could like I can see Chris failing a lot more than I think some people do. Like that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that I expect it, but like I can see how he's just just doesn't work out.
1: Right. And the way that I kind of operate my board is is an expected value equation. So yeah. the reason I kind of was convinced to move him up was they kind of convinced me a little bit more on his ceiling legitimately being like the third best player in the draft. And I was like okay, you're probably right. Like, I I probably need to move him up at that stage. But, like, he just does – he's so far away. I mean, he has so little sense in how to attack the ball on the glass at this stage. I mean, how do you – how are you, how are you that athletic and you only have, you know, two and a half defensive rebounds in 25 minutes a game on the floor, or 26 minutes so a game much. on the floor and foul so much, like when your team needs you, you know, like it's not a situation where Carl Anthony Towns last year fouled a lot, uh, because he knew that his team didn't necessarily need him on the floor for more than 22 minutes a game. When he didn't need to foul, he didn't really foul. Like in the Notre Dame game, he was fine because he knew that they were going to ride him the whole game. Um, with Chris, that team needed him out on the floor more than anything, and he couldn't be there. So it's very difficult for me to wrap my head around a player who has such little defensive awareness, has such little awareness on the glass, and also has a very rudimentary offensive game. He's just a freak athlete. And he can attack a closeout a little bit for a big guy, don't get me wrong, but it's not ideal either, I would say. Um, I think the value at eight for the Suns is fine. Um, would I have probably given up everything they did for him? Probably not, just because I- I'm not as much of a believer in him as a lot of people are. But if you're a believer in him, I can see giving up what they did for number eight, especially given that uh, Bogdan is likely not coming over this year. Yeah,
2: I yeah, I don't I think he's going to do kind of what Miritich did and take advantage of the of the time period so he's not on the rookie scale. Actually, right. I actually realized one more I have to ask um, because of the team I cover and because they happen to draft two guys I don't know very well. The one oh, they,
1: they did terrific.
2: You you like both their guys?
1: Uh, I love what Golden State did tonight. Uh, I gave them a B plus in my draft rankings. Uh, or in my draft grades, uh, Damian Jones is fine. Uh, right around 30 is good for him in terms of value. McCaw is a guy that I have been a little bit lower on. Uh, I, I talked to Mike Schmitz about Patrick McCaw like a decent amount. Uh, not like all the time or anything, but uh, I've talked to him quite a bit about Patrick McCaw. And Schmitz loves him, and I've always been like kind of a doubter. But the thing about Makah is at Golden State, it's like the perfect fit in terms of getting the most out of his skill because you assume he's going to improve as a jump shooter there. Uh, he has all of the stuff you look for in terms of handling the ball and passing and creating turnovers and creating transition opportunities. So I really like the fit with Makah at number 38 going to Golden State.
2: Nice. Uh- We've talked long enough, but are there any other picks that stand out to you that you feel like this would be incomplete without mentioning them?
1: I would like to mention Chicago. I think Chicago did a really nice job tonight. They got Denzel Valentine, who I think is a great fit in Fred Hoiberg's offense. Um, He's a really good passer. He's going to be able to help uh, the Jaron Grant-Jose Calderon conglomeration uh, try and figure out how to get the entire team involved and then uh he's also a great shooter he'd fit next to jimmy butler in that capacity uh and then they also drafted paul zipser who's a guy i'm super high on out of germany he's a 6 foot 8 uh kind of a combo forward in germany he might play a little bit more three in the nba he's a really good shooter shot over 40% from three over the last 2 years uh is a very good explosive athlete plays above the rim and defends really well he really cares on that end uh so i think that they got Two uh, rotation players in Chicago tonight. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any other teams that were interesting in what they did tonight. Not really. Uh, I don't think his basketball sense is all that great, but uh, I mean, rebounding bigs uh, from small leagues often figure it out.
2: You and know then, what I mean? Yeah, and then the other so. two guys I, I just have to mention quickly—the two French guys, uh, Isaiah Cordone and and Cornely. Just I, I'm intrigued by both of them. I saw I saw Cordenier as you did at, at Hoop Summit and liked him.
1: Yeah, Isaiah is a great kid. Uh, I wrote a big thing on him for CBS Sports, and uh, Isaiah is still a ways away from playing in the NBA because of his lower body strength. I think, but. I'll say this: you know, I talked to quite a few French coaches over there who really like him and like the idea of him, and think that he probably has a little bit more potential long term than uh, Timotei Luawu. So, it's a very interesting, uh, interesting concept to see how he'll work out. Cornely, I, I have never been super big on because I don't think the body will translate. Uh he's a really good athlete at 6'11" can really shoot the ball but it, it's kind of tough for me to wrap my head around that one. Uh in, in him ever getting there.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm much happier with him at 53 than if he'd gone a lot higher. You know, like Yeah, 53 is at, at, at that point you ju- you're kind of just throwing it against the wall and you hope that it works.
1: Right, 53 is much better than even like 35 for him. Yeah. Um two more that I did really like. Uh I have been kind of the leader of the DeJounte Murray is not very good uh, bandwagon among NBA draft people, I guess, this year. Uh, th- this Spurs fit is just incredible. Uh, he's he so he's well. going to be really good. Like He's just going to be really good there. Uh, they'll kind of iron out his more wild tendencies in terms of decision-making, and uh, hopefully he'll learn to shoot in some capacity. If he does those two things, he's going to be awesome there.
2: And then you said you had one more, right?
1: I do have one more. Uh, Pascal Siakam to Toronto. That was one I didn't really get. Um, he's been kind of sold as a guy that can, uh, that can be like a Tristan Thompson-y kind of guy, but Tristan's a lot more fluid than he is athletically. Uh, this is a kid that to me is kind of stiff in terms of the way that he moves around the floor and uh, is a high-motor player and, and really cares and really wants to rebound, but I don't think he's all that explosive athletically either, and I wonder about the hands. So I would not have taken him at 27. I probably – I was actually really quite surprised that they didn't take Scala Bissier there at 28 or at 27 because he was said to be legitimately kind of in the mix at number nine for them. So – that the Siakam one was very strange. I, I didn't think he was anywhere near the first round.
2: Yeah, I, I don't. I admittedly don't know him very well, but I think that could also be one of those issues that happens sometimes where you take a guy early and then you just don't want to take another direct conflict, especially when they have Noguera already. But I personally think I I, I think I like Scal better than Pirtle and I like Pertle a fair amount but I just th- I I'm a big ceiling guy and I think that Scal you know like when you already have your center which I assume that they you know that they think they have in Valentinas, to aim right. for it. but yeah I mean it, it is it is a challenge for them and I also to me when you're Toronto and they couldn't have expected Scal to be on the board at 27 like I understand why they took Pertle but it is a little bit of a shame just because that would have been it would have been fun to see this crazy high ceiling guy go to a team that is if he does nothing, isn't really hurt by it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. Um, I'm trying to think of other other you know picks that they could have made at that spot, but I think that Skull just would have been the right kind of fit at the right kind of time for them because, uh, like you said, it wouldn't have been like this necessary thing where. Uh, He needed to come in immediately, and they have a terrific, terrific development system uh, with their D-League team. So I would have liked to have seen Skull there. I think Skull probably would have liked to have seen Skull there because he would have known that he would have been going somewhere, that he would have been comfortable, but uh, it's just not the way it goes sometimes.
2: Yeah, he'll be be somewhere better two years from now when the Kings trade him. True. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. It's it's a nice 2.25 a.m. Pacific time, and I appreciate you taking the time.
1: Yeah, seriously, I'm going to bed, man. I uh, have to wake up and start working on 2017, guys. Do you really? Oh, no, I'm, I already have my top 30 right now Good for love. 2017. Well, I've actually to... seen
2: some of those guys for the Hoop Summit, so I'll read that with some intent.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, have, uh, I have, I'll have. i give you a quick top three. I have Harry Giles, Josh Jackson, and Markel Fultz, so...
2: I like all three of those guys. So, um, oh, who's the? There's one other guy who's kind of in that mix. Oh, Jason Tatum, I really like.
1: Uh, I'm okay on Tatum. I think he's interesting. He's uh he. He's kind of that like two dribble and pull up for mid range guy. Cause I, I like he's he has some Harrison Barnes to him. I think uh, he's a four that scares me. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. yeah, I, I, underst- I but understand. But then again, like Harrison like Barnes had night. some, yeah, like Harrison Barnes had some Carmelo Anthony to him too. You know, it's just that Harrison. Yeah, well, it's just that like Harrison, uh, you know, had the stiff hips and couldn't really, you know, create his own jump shot consistently uh, at the rim, or uh, never really became nearly as consistent a pull-up jump shooter as uh, Melo did and really just he's not as good as Carmelo Anthony in any capacity. But uh, Jason Tatum is kind of in that same mold where they all kind of operate in the same areas in terms of the, uh, you know, 20 to 12-foot range.
2: Well, I don't want to go down any more rabbit holes because you need to go to sleep, and I honestly need to go to sleep as well. Uh, (laughs) So thanks again, man.
1: All right, I'll talk to you soon, Danny.
2: Thanks again to Sam Vecini for taking the time to come on. You can read him at CBS Sports, and you can also follow him on Twitter at Sam underscore Vecini. That's S-A-M underscore V-E-C-E-N-I-E. So thrilled to have him, and I, I really did love the conversation. And if you want to listen to the Dunked On draft review, which is Nate Duncan and I, that is available, of course, as well. That came out while we were recording this one. And it's a different take because that on that one, we actually talk a lot about the... Serge Baca to the Magic trade, which you know is, is a little bit less drafty, so I didn't want to focus on it as much with Sam. Of course, he's knowledgeable about the NBA as well, but wanted to also keep him a little bit different. So really hope you enjoyed this. I also did an episode recently with Ben Gulliver on the NBA Finals, which I thought was great, and that is, of course, a little bit less timely in that sense because the Finals are over now. But I hope you enjoy that. And as always, feedback is greatly appreciated. You can reach out to me via Twitter at Danny LaRue, DannyLeroux, D A N N Y L E R O U X. You can also email Danny LaRue, MBA at gmail.com. I read everything, or as much as I humanly possible, and I respond to as much as I can when I can. That, because July 1st is, is a really big time for me, is not probably going to be very soon, but I, I still make that promise all the same. Also, if you enjoy this podcast or any other, but especially this or Dunked On because those involve me, uh, download every episode, please rate the show, and write a review, and you can do that, it's great if you can do it with iTunes just because iTunes is such a big part of this business, but if you download download the episodes, that is, is of course much appreciated anyway, and tell your friends... If you want to mention it on Reddit, you can do that too, whatever. That was actually really nice. There were some nice things said about this podcast and, of course, dunked on in a Reddit thread last week. That was really nice and much appreciated. I actually made a few comments in it, but not about that sort of thing. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.
0: Let the celebration begin. Come to Cabela's 4th of July sale and gear up for Independence Day. Get 50% off Cabela's American Flag Chairs 2-pack and 50% off a caravan 10-foot by 10-foot shelter. Plus, get 40% off an Abu Garcia Cardinal Sapphire Spinning Combo and 10% off all in-stock canoes and kayaks. Don't miss Cabela's 4th of July sale in-store and online at cabelas.com.
2: For revolutionary prices on summer's most stylish shorts. Tomorrow only, they're all 50% off for the whole family. All your favorite shorts, denim, linen, all of them. All shorts are 50% off tomorrow only. Run to Old Navy. Valid 630 excludes active. Run to Old Navy for revolutionary prices on summer's most stylish shorts. Tomorrow only, they're all 50% off for the whole family. All your favorite shorts, denim, linen, all of them. All shorts are 50% off tomorrow only. Run to Old Navy. Valid 630 excludes active.